Well, it's good to see you this morning, and uh, many of you are, are probably joining on with your devices at home, or you know, you're sitting there in your living room, or maybe on television as well. We welcome you as well. The title of the message today is No Fear, and so with that, Luke chapter 1 is our text. Now, last week, we looked at an illustration. We said we're running this race, the Bible says. We're running a race with Jesus Christ, and we're doing it intentionally, and so as we're running the race, we picture ourselves in a marathon, running laps around a track. And we said that what if a Bible character from the Christmas story could come out of the stands, as the Bible says, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. One of those witnesses would come out of those clouds, come out of the stands, and join us in a lap. What would they teach us? And we looked at Joseph, Mary, and the Magi, the wise men, and so, but we ask ourselves the question, I just asked myself the question this past week, what if everybody in the Christmas story were to take a lap with us at one time? What would they tell us? And if you look at something that comes up over and over and over again in the story, you will find, I believe, that one of the things they would share with us, don't fear. Don't be afraid. Because we all have those fears in our life. Now you may be saying, well, I'm not afraid of anything. Well, we'll see. You know, here we find in the scripture, however, chapter one, verse 13, what happens? Zacharias is approached by the angel and the angel says, don't fear. Here in our story, in just a few moments that we'll be reading, when Mary is approached by the angel, he says, don't fear, have no fear. And then we looked at the story last week when Joseph was approached by the angel, said the same thing, don't be afraid. And then when the shepherds came and they were out in the field, and the angel appeared to them. He says, don't be afraid. In fact, someone said, and I haven't checked this out, but someone said there are 365 fear nots in the Bible, or don't be afraid in the Bible in some way, one for every day. Now, FDR, President Roosevelt, back uh, almost a century ago, said to us, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. Well, is that true? Is that really true? We have COVID going on. We have another strand maybe coming up here in England. We have economic woes, not just in our country, but all across the world. In fact, some of the e economies of the rest of the world are affecting us, sometimes more than we are. You know, people have job hunts going on, people afraid for their families, just all over and over and over again, we find fear, 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 and all kinds of things to be afraid of. Alexander McLaren, who's a famous English pastor, in the 19th century said this, when you consider the potential direction of life, one would have to be insane not to be afraid. Well, there's two different extremes, nothing to fear but fear itself, and we'll be insane if we don't fear. And as we open up to Luke chapter one, we find our fears addressed. And so before we can overcome our fears, we must know what fear is all about. Now fear has much to do with, one, who or what we trust in. You gotta keep that in mind during the entire message. Who or what you're trusting in. Secondly, the resources of that one you're trusting in. What kind of resources do they have? And thirdly, the potential of loss. The potential of something you might lose. And so as we look at this story of Mary being approached by the angel and the announcement of the birth of Jesus or rather the, the prophecy of Jesus coming uh, true here, we find that we ask ourselves three questions this morning. Number one, what are you afraid of? 
What are you afraid of? Number two, how does that affect you? And number three, how do you get rid of it? How do you cure it? How do you overcome it? What do we do about it? Now, wouldn't it be wonderful if you could walk out of these doors this morning knowing that you don't have to be afraid of anything because of what the Bible teaches today? Well, let's look at it. First of all, what are you afraid of? Look in verse 26 of chapter 1. And the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, who sent, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, the sixth month of what? Well, we just came out of a passage, if you want to go back and read that, about how Zacharias was approached by the angel. He said, you're going to give birth to a son in your old age. Your wife Elizabeth's going to be given a son, and it's going to, his name's going to be John, and he's going to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the one who would go and plow the field for Jesus to come through. We would know him better as John the Baptist. Now, he was, she was in, Elizabeth was in the sixth month. She's a relative of Mary and in the sixth month of her pregnancy. And so they came to a little place called Nazareth and Nazareth, a little hole in the wall type town. Even today, it is, there's nothing much there. And back then, very poor city, as it is today. He says, came to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And be, she became, and he became, came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Six months into her pregnancy, uh, of Elizabeth, Mary is approached by the angel, and a prophecy is about to be given how the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow her, but the first thing he says is, don't be afraid. In the, in the text here, we get the, 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 the idea that Mary is very much paralyzed, really, by the fear. Fearful. An angel has this heavenly being now has appeared before her. And so we ask ourselves the question today, what are we afraid of. What about us? Now, Mary had a lot to be afraid of. We went over this last week, how she, she would tell Joseph, what, which she did. And Joseph, perhaps, is the very first one that ever uh, hated the sin and loved the sinner, because that's exactly what he did. Because Mary, uh, because she was pregnant, as soon as she started showing, she would at least be ostracized from the community and maybe killed. If they could, under Roman law, they couldn't do it under Roman law, but if they could do it on the side where they could not be found out, she would actually be killed. So Joseph was putting himself in a place of great harm and a place where he could never make a living in his own hometown. He would have to move around if he actually married her. So the Bible says he loved her, so he wanted to put her away privately, do it in the best possible way. Now, Mary was, had to be afraid of all those things coming her way. So we ask ourselves the question, what are you afraid of? And he say, well, pastor, look, sometimes it's good to be afraid. How many of you are afraid of, of dogs? Anybody here? How about alligators? You're kind of afraid of an alligator. Nobody's voting here. I want you to notice by, you know, if you're at home, nobody, nobody's voting here. So uh, nobody's afraid of anything. At least they don't want to admit it. You know, we have different things that we're afraid of because it's real fear. It's two types of fear, really. Number one, is real fear. It's fear based on something of reality. The second type of fear is one of anxiety, where it really doesn't connect. That it's, it's an overboard type of thing. It's 
based on anxiety, based on worry. Now, let me tell you the difference. Rollo May, a psychiatrist, basically put it this way. For example, if you were walking across the street and a car came speeding toward you and you weren't paying attention and it stopped right here, right before it got to your leg, you would be afraid. Not only that, but you would have every right to be afraid. That's a good type of fear. That's a fear that would maybe keep us from walking out of the street again without looking. But the anxiety type of fear, the fear that's unrealistic, is to say, I'm afraid to walk across the street ever again. I've just got this phobia about walking across the street. I remember when I was a door-to-door salesman going, uh, as I was working my way through college, I would go up and knock on doors, and sometimes I would have to just walk right by, occasionally, a very mean-looking <clears throat> dog. I mean, it could be a Chihuahua, you know, you know what I'm saying, Chihuahua. Or it could be a, you know, one of those German shepherds. And I'd walk, sometimes their hair would be up on their back. They'd be growling at me. I'd just walk right by, knock on the door. Hey, you know, I'm not going to worry about it. He's going to be all right. I'm not, he's not going to smell fear on me, you know. And so one day, I was uh, walking into a yard. This lady, I, I didn't know she wasn't paying attention. She had an iris sitter there. And by the way, I grew up in a, a, a world where dogs just ran free. You know, you didn't have them in their little penthouses in your homes or anything like that. You know, they didn't wear clothes, anything like that. But this is a beautiful iris sitter. And, you know, I, I grew up watching that movie, uh, Big Red. And so, wow, I, want, I always wanted to pet an iris sitter. So he came bouncing toward me. Look, no, no growling. No hair standing up on his back, just, just looking just as friendly as he could be. And he leaped at me and bit me right in the stomach. And, uh, of course, I didn't have the girth that I have now. You know, so he barely scraped me, tore my shirt, barely scraped me. You know, if it, it'd be now, he'd be grabbing hold of things and, you know, <laughs> tossing me around the yard probably or something. But back then, it, just, but it startled me. I, I'd never been bit before. I... I I was taken back. Well, I told her who I was, where I was from, got back in my car and left. And in fact, I left for the night. I was shaken up. Nothing wrong with that. But there would have been something wrong. Now, I was more careful after that, by the way. But there'd been something wrong if I said, I'd never want to go near another dog again. That would be the anxiety. But you do learn. I was visiting a family, an emergency case this past week with one of our other staff members, Kevin. And we went over to this house and there's this dog, we were talking to him, and this dog came right by me, and a nice, little, nice dog, you know, about so big, and uh, I said, and they were, he was wagging his tail, and they were petting him, and I couldn't see him just from behind, and I said, wow, what a nice dog, what, what kind of dog is that? He turned around, started growling at me, you know, you know, like that. I said, hmm, a pit bull. There's the smell of fear in the room, <laughs> and so they put him in a camp, but he was nice, he was a nice dog. But, you know, I'm warned about it. But for me never to go around another dog would be toward that fear of anxiety, that paralyzation that happens to us when we have that kind of fear. Now, let me share with you, there are a lot of phobias in the world, and maybe you have one of them. I'm not going to mention them all here today, but ergophobia is a fear of work. I won't say any more about that. Claustrophobia. A fear of enclosed places. You know, you don't want to go into an elevator. A fear of flying. A fear of heights. Acrophobia. I've got that a little bit. It's not so much the height. It's the concrete below me that scares me more than the height itself. A fear of failure 
is probably one that dictates our decisions in life maybe more than any other. According to a, pub, a survey done, public speaking is actually the number one fear in America. 41% of people fear public speaking. Why is that? Well, if you get up and say something stupid, or I shouldn't use that word, got children in the room, you say something that would embarrass you. You say something to make you look foolish in front of other people. And so, you know, your, your mouth gets real dry. You're afraid your mouth is going to get dry and your tongue's going to stick to the roof of your mouth and you're going to snap, crackle, and pop as you talk. And it's just going to be embarrassing. You, maybe you draw a blank. You don't know what to say. What is the problem there? Well, it's not the pub, problem of public speaking. It's a problem of the fear of failure, which is so often paralyzing us in life. But the biggest one of all, never mind the surveys, the biggest fear of all in the world today is, is death. And that's why some people respond to danger more than other people respond. That's why people respond to things that are a threat. And immediately, and instead of looking down on the people that do that, dear friends, we need to realize that if you and I didn't know Jesus Christ, we'd have every right to fear death. But because we know him, we don't need to fear that kind, that, that particular fear, the fear of death. But there's all kinds of phobias in the world. Now, what's going on? Well, fear, if I can define it, is the gap between the danger you feel and the resources you have to give you security. Let me say that again. Fear is the gap between the danger you feel and the resources you have to give you security. It may be in your life that some of the fears that you have are very irrational in life, but you don't feel like you've got the resources to bring it to a point. Why is that? Because you're trusting, you and I begin to trust in the finite things of life. The, the, the things that are very limited. If I trust in money, it's very limited. You, you trust in this, it's very limited. Trust in that. Anything that's finite, anything that is not infinite is infinitely lacking in our life. And sooner or later, our resources are not gonna be able to match up to the demands. So the fear is the gap between the danger you feel and the resources you have to give you security. So how does that affect us? Well, look with me in the scripture again, and you will notice in verse 29 and following, but she greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And he says, don't be afraid, don't fear. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, he shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And you can imagine the fear that was going through me. You've got to be kidding. First of all, I'm seeing an angel. And then he's giving me this, this prophecy that's about me that seems to be unbelievable. Don't you know that fear? In fact, we sort of get the idea from here again that Mary was kind of frozen with fear. So what does fear do to us? First of all, fear exposes us. It really does. It exposed here who Mary was really counting on, who was, she was placing her weight upon. Look with me. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how can this be because I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, 
the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has already conceived a son and this in the sixth month and her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to the town of Judah. She was obeying the Lord every single step of the way and exposes in Mary something that we need to see. And that is God was her God. Her treasure, the what she placed her weight upon was God. I want to skip down to verse 46. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. She was saying simply this, that I'm placing my weight upon God. Glory, that means to place your weight upon something. What are you counting on in life? What are you trusting in in life? When you and I fear something, it shows us that we are not placing our weight upon the Lord. We're placing it and counting on something and someone else's resources or something else's resources to help us. It may be yourself, maybe our money, maybe your good looks, it may be something else, it may be your family. You're counting on something to give you security. You're counting on something else. It exposes our heart. John Orberg has said this, the single command in scripture that occurs more often than any other, God's most frequently repeated instruction is formulated in these two words, fear not. Why does God command us not to fear? Fear does not seem like the most serious vice in the world. It was never made on a list of seven deadly sins. No one ever receives church discipline uh, for being afraid more often than he tells anything else. My hunch in the reason God says fear not so much is not that he wants us to be spared emotional discomfort. I think God says fear not so often because fear is the number one reason human beings are tempted to avoid doing what God asked them to do. And so maybe we find our greatest fear as we look in the Bible, the fear, if I give my life to God, is he gonna come through for me? Or is he gonna abandon me? And when we fear, it exposes us. I gave you the illustration, I think, on my last series about the difference between sometimes men and women, and sometimes it's not the difference between men and women, but let me uh, use it for an illustrative pur purpose anyway. Something happens to a son, and he goes off, and uh, maybe he's a prodigal, prodigal son, and the mother is devastated, and the father is so disappointed, but he, he, he can live his life, but he's so disappointed. The mom is devastated. Why? Well, more times than not, the mom puts her weight upon the children to give her the love and security that she wants. That's the most important thing to her. On the other hand, if a man, for example, has a business or has a career, he gets fired, he loses his business, and he is devastated. His wife is disappointed. She's hurt. She's worried. She's insecure about it, but she's not devastated. 
It's what we place our weight upon. And so it exposes our heart. But secondly, fear can paralyze us. You heard about the man, uh, years ago I read about a man who was actually uh, trapped in a freezer. And what he didn't know was is that this freezer was not only a little bit ventilated, but it was only 61 degrees. It wasn't really on. And if it was on, it was very low temperature. But he got trapped in the freezer overnight. Someone opened up the freezer the next day and he was frozen to death. He felt like the freezer was on. He felt like it was cold in there and his mind played tricks on him. You heard about the story about James Dobson's uh, parents. And uh, to me, a, a funny story. And I can see it happening. They wake up in the middle of the night. They hear a thud in the house. And certainly they, 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 suddenly they hear some footsteps up the steps. And they hear something right outside their door. Immediately, they jump up. And they run to the door. His dad grabs the handle of the door and begins to pull it open to get to the bur burglar. The would-be burglar. His mother begins to push on the door to keep the burglar out. So you know what happened. He was pulling with all his might, thinking that somebody else is on the other side, having the handle, pull, pulling it to keep him from getting to the burglar, where she felt like she was pushing the door, and she felt like somebody was on the other side pushing the door with the burglar trying to get in. Totally playing tricks on us. It paralyzes us. You've been driving before, perhaps, and how many people have done this in the past that something happens, somebody stops right in front of you, somebody jumps out or, or maybe an animal runs out and you, you're frozen with fear and you just don't react. It can freeze you, but it can also motivate you. The good kind of fear can motivate you. You're a student, so you go and you have anxiety about a test, so you study harder. You wanna do good in your business life, so you study harder. You are afraid that your children are gonna grow up to be a prodigal and so, and, and uh, lost somewhere and and in trouble somewhere, so you do everything you can to raise them right. And so fear can be a motivator, but it can be a motivator in the wrong way. In other words, you're so afraid of failure. You're so afraid of not doing right. So afraid of maybe being embarrassed that you don't do anything. When I was in school, I knew a guy. His name was Dan. And um, he told me one day, we were just talking, and he wasn't dating anybody, but he wanted to real bad. You know, his dream was just get married and have a ministry and have some kids. And, and I said, well, Dan, you're not dating anybody. He said, well, I know that. He said, well, you need to ask somebody out. That's kind of the first step. Before you get married, you've got to usually do that, you know. And uh, he said, well, uh, one particular girl he was really interested in. And I said, just ask her out. What do you got to lose? And he says, oh, my self-respect. He said, I might fail, she might reject me. And what would happen then? And he wouldn't ask her out because of a fear of failure. He says, I don't want just a good dating, I don't want a dating life, I want a successful dating life. A fear, a failure in our own life. We fear of applying for a job. You fear flying on a plane because of what might happen. I'm afraid. I will fail at this business so you don't go into business. I'm afraid of failing at a ministry. There's some people here that could teach a small group class. You could really care for them. You do a great job. You could really teach the word, but you're afraid. What if I'm boring? What if I don't have time? What if, what if, what if? You're afraid and you're paralyzed by the fear of failure. 
instead of being successful. So what do you do about it? What do you and I do? Well, first of all, we need to check out what do you worship? Dependence, as we said before, leads to obedience. What are you dependent upon? Mary was troubled, the Bible says, in her heart. But in verses 46 and 47 again, it says that she was placing her weight upon Jesus Christ, upon God. The Bible says in Psalm 3:3, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my soul. And so we ask ourselves, God, what is first place in my life? Because if, if I'm afraid of something, that means that that thing is really, I'm, I'm afraid of losing. I'm afraid of losing my self-respect. I'm afraid of losing my, my job. I'm afraid that I'm going to fail because my self-esteem is kind of the number one thing in my life. It exposes that. So we ask ourselves the question, what are you placing your weight the, uh, upon? The fe fear is the gap between the danger you feel and the resources you have to give you security. So what are you trusting in? You may be trusting in your money. It's limited. It's um, everybody's bank account. It's finite. It's limited. When you die, you're going to leave it all behind. The stock market could go, go crashing and you lose everything. You never know because you can't really trust money to give you the security you think you want. You're trusting in your looks. You're trying to get by on your looks. Maybe you're just barely getting by, but look sooner or later, go. I mean, let's face it, you get older, they go. Talent, somebody says, well, that's a depreciating talent. All talent is depreciating, all of it. Memory, knowledge, my, I have a, my, my dad is, has Alzheimer's. He cannot remember things that he used to know. Knowledge is fleeting. It's all finite. And so until we trust and place our weight upon something that is infinite, infinite in time, infinite in power, infinite in love, we're never going to know the security. There's always going to be a gap there. So secondly, how do you feel? Notice in verse 46 and following, and look, we'll just look at verse 48, how Mary felt. For he looked on the, on the humble state of the servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is, is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. What is she saying here as she goes through this? Finally, Mary remained with her, Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. She knew that God loved her. The Bible already says here, Mary, you're special. You are blessed among all women. And she knew, she knew without any doubt that God loved her. Listen to this, this verse, 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has, been, has not been perfected in love. Do you know that God loves you? Do you know that as he was born, he loved you? As he lived his life, he, loved, he lived it because he loved you. When he went to the cross, he went to the cross because he loved you. When he rose on the third day, and even today, as he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, ever to pray for you is because he loves you. Mary realized that. And you say, well, 
Maybe I don't realize that, Pastor. Maybe, maybe I, I just don't get that. Well, let me ask you this. Do you, do you love your spouse? And for those of you who do, and I think most of you do, why would you say that they love you? Well, I spend time with them. I know them. Could it be that then that we don't realize the love of God in our life because we're not spending enough time with him? You know, I challenge you during this coming year to get with the Bible and to get to God, with God in prayer and spend some time with him. Let him tell you how much he loves you through his word. Let him show you in your life as he answers prayer for you. Do you believe that God loves you? Third question, what do you believe about God and his faithfulness to you? In verses 46 and following, we just read just a few moments ago, Mary believed every word the angel told her. Even before the evidence of Elizabeth being pregnant, she believed it. What do you believe? Do you believe that God loves you, that he's gonna bless you? Do you believe that he rewards in the end? The Bible says, without faith it is impossible to please him. Forever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Do you believe that God will eventually reward you? If you don't believe that, then it's gonna be hard for you to persevere and to wait upon the Lord for, to, to do God, to do something in your life. I remember, we just saw a video about Brandon, and I remember back when he was about 15 years old, he wanted to be a ball player. He played for a basketball team, a high school team, that really, I can't remember the exact record, but I think they went 104 and two, two losses over a couple of years, a period of time. Really a good team. He's one of the point guards there, and he was going up during one of the practices to grab the rim. They were practicing that, and uh, he came down on a leg that was already kind of hurting, and he broke his leg at the kneecap. Well, he was out for the rest of the season. He had surgery, and it looked like things were kind of coming back for him. He had a couple of really good games. I remember being at a men's retreat and uh, calling my wife. I said, hey, how'd the game go? How'd the game go? And she, she said, well, not too good. I said, really? So I came home, and I said, what's going on? And uh, Brandon says, I, I can't straighten out my elbows. I couldn't dribble the ball because I can't straighten them out. Took him to the doctor, rheumatoid arthritis. Well, basketball was over. He took up golf, thought he could do that, and got to Liberty University, played for Liberty University for a little bit, and uh, discovered that he would never make the tour, never turn, be able to turn pro. So he's going through that. He's going through some other things in his life, and he just came down to the point where he just started just getting into the word, fasting, praying, getting into the word, almost to the point where people didn't know, his friends didn't know really what was going on with his life. And he came to the conclusion the gift that he was looking for was God himself. He told me that one night. But see, he goes through all this, just like you're going through something. You're going through a time where you feel like maybe God has abandoned you. You're going through a time of loss in your life. And you look back on your life and say, you know, God... But my problem was I was putting my weight, I'm putting my weight right now on something else besides you. And because of that, I'm not close and I don't realize how much you love me because of that. It's hard for me to believe that the one I'm not placing my weight on 
is going to hold me up? How in the world could I sit on one chair trusting it, but I'm trusting really another chair to hold me up? You, you just don't. You've got to sit in the chair if you believe that chair is going to hold you up. What God are you sitting with and sitting upon? And then I close today by saying, asking the question, what do you do? Notice in verse 38, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to me. And the angel departed from her. She, she left. She went to, to visit Elizabeth as God had instructed her. We find out also in verse 56, Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. She did what God wanted her to do, whatever that was. No matter how fearful she was, she did what God wanted her to do. Dear friends, the final step in overcoming our fears is to face them. Face them. The young man at, um, in college I was talking to, I told him, I said, you, you need to ask her out. He said, well, she'll turn me down. She's way out of my league. I didn't want to tell him, but there's a lot of girls that were, were out of his league and really out of mine too, you know. And I said, no, you just need to ask her out. I said, you need to do so in this. You need to realize she'll probably turn you down. He said, well, pastor, that's not positive thinking. There's a lot of television preachers would not agree with that at all. Hear me out. You've got to face your biggest fears. You've got to realize, you face them in spite of the fact that it's hard. In fact, you face your fears because it's hard. Like the former president, I think JFK said, we don't do things because they're easy, we do them because they are hard. You go and you ask her out, and when she turns you down, you're gonna realize it didn't, it didn't hurt that much. That you can rely upon God. You go and you pray about it before. You say, God, prepare me for the answer. Give me strength in the answer. You face that, and you're gonna go away with a smile on your face, not because she turned you down, but because you faced your greatest fear, which is a fear of rejection. And after that, you can face anything. But you've got to face your fears. You've got to do it head on. Well, he did that. He asked her out, and she went. She probably did so to approach her greatest fear as well. I don't know. Now, he's a good guy. Not only did she go, but they became boyfriend and girlfriend and eventually got married, if you can believe that. But it worked out. You say, well, it worked out for him. But maybe it didn't in some other cases. But whether it did or not, he faced his fear, and therefore, he came out victorious. What is your fear today? What is it? Would you name it? What is it? And maybe today, that it is a fear of a ministry. And what you need to do, you need to call somebody like, I don't know, Tim Dix, or maybe it's, if it's youth, you call Daryl. You need to call him today. Say, I want to teach. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to teach. Maybe it's baptism. Maybe you've been saved for maybe several years, but you say, well, I don't want to get my hair wet. I don't want to get, I'm embarrassed. All the attention will be on me. Face the fear. Or maybe you've been sitting there like I did for four years, from the age of 12 to 16, every Sunday hearing the gospel message and every Sunday saying, next week, God, I'm going to do this. 
I was scared of God. I was scared that he would let me down. I was scared to give up the throne of my own life until one day I just faced the fear and did it. Greatest decision of my life. Maybe that's your decision today. Maybe you've come to the point in your life, whether you're here or watching at home, that you say, you know, I can't, I don't need to put this off anymore. I have to face my fear, and my fear is following Christ. Will he abandon me? Mary would say no. Joseph would say no. The wise men, the magi, would say no, he will not, as he led them in another way to avoid Herod. Testimony after testimony in the Bible would say, no, you can trust him. You can trust him. But dear friend, right now, you not only need to trust him for salvation, you need to trust him so he can help you overcome your greatest fear today. Would you do that with heads bowed and eyes closed this morning? Maybe you can name that greatest fear right now that you have or one of the fears that you have in your life. And you say, God, this is what I need to do in order to overcome that. I'm going to face it and I'm going to move ahead and act, act on what I need to do, what you want me to do. And then whether the answer is yes, it turns out wonderful or wonder, I'm disappointed, I'm going to know that's not going to kill me. It's going to be all right. But maybe this morning you need to trust Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you do, I want to invite you right now to pray this prayer with me. And you can pray as silently as I pray aloud as you follow along with me. Lord God, thank you so much for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross, dying there for my sins. I confess those sins. And I ask Jesus to come into my heart and my life to make the difference. I just face my fear today and I place my weight, my trust in you and you alone to save me and to lead me in this life. In Jesus' name. I pray it. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.